The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. The song the team is going to lead us through in the next few moments. I want to talk to you a little bit about it first. It's a new arrangement of an old hymn, but I wonder if you know the name Horatio Spafford. It's not a real common name. Some of you might know the story. He was a successful lawyer in the 1800s, married uh, to Anna, had a family, uh, faith in Christ, active in his church, um, living in Chicago during that time and being uh, fairly wealthy. He he also knew uh, D.L. Moody, famous evangelist, and was a friend of his and supported uh, his ministry. 19, or sorry, 1870, starting in that year, uh, there was a series of kind of tragedies that happened in their life. And Horatio got to the place where he just really thought that his wife and his four daughters could really use a vacation and a break. And so he made plans for the entire family to travel to England. And as part of their time there, they were actually going to travel around with D.L. Moody on one of his evangelistic uh, campaigns. And that was going to be the break that they really, he really felt like his family needed. And so he um, planned the whole trip out. And then just at the last minute as they were getting ready to leave, uh, there was some business that kept him in Chicago a little bit longer. But he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead of him. And as they were sailing across the Atlantic... Uh, there was a collision at sea. Their ship, the steamship, the Ville d'Avre, collided with another ship. In 12 minutes is all it took for it to sink. But 226 people lost their lives, including the four daughters of Horatio and Anna. They were from ages uh, 2 through 11. Tanetta, Bessie, Margaret, Lee, and Annie all lost their lives in the Atlantic that day. Only his wife survived. When Anna got to England, she sent a telegram heartbreaking really a heartbreaking telegram back to her husband saved alone what shall I do obviously devastated by the law Spafford sailed for England to bring his grieving wife home and during the voyage the captain alerted him to the very location that his daughters had lost their life where the ship had sunk It was in that very place on that voyage that Horatio Spafford penned these words, when sorrow like sea billows roll, roll, it is well, it is well with my soul. Composer Philip Bliss was so struck by Spafford's faith in the words of the hymn that he composed a beautiful piece of music to accompany the lyrics. And it is a hymn, I can say without any exaggeration, a hymn that has comforted millions of of believers over the years. Believers in the midst of their own trials have sought comfort and solace from the Lord. It's a song that many have sung with confidence. Many have stood to declare in the midst of deep, deep trials. It is well. It is well with my soul. What makes a person so confident that they could say those words? What, what causes a person to have such faith, to be so confident in Jesus Christ, so completely at rest in their Savior? 
Who then is this Jesus? That's the question. A Jesus who saves so completely that people can rest perfectly confident in who he is, overcoming any trial, anything that comes their way. We're going to see that Savior today in Luke chapter 8. I'm going to work through the passage. Before we do, I thought it'd be great for us to hear this new arrangement of it as well. And so allow the team to minister to you, to firm up your own resolve as we approach the scriptures. Listen to Kelsey as she sings.
Father, we pray that we would have a similar, the same resolve. God, that we would be so firm in our faith, so confident in Jesus Christ that nothing could ever shake it. The waves and the wind still know your name. So God, help us to hear your word now and respond as we ought to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. This is the passage for today. Speaking of Jesus, um, one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed... He fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. They went and woke him saying, master, master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. He said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. What we'll see as we work through these verses is that the capacity to survive life's deepest trials, having a firm resolve throughout, is not grounded in who I am. I'm not in this, I'm going to believe in myself and I can make it through and I'm determined. It's not based, surviving the trial is not based in who I am, but in a Savior who stilled the storm. We have no other confidence. And in the face of this Situation the disciples found themselves in, in the face of the storm being stilled, the disciples asked the question that we all want to be asking uh, here this morning. Who then is this? He commands even winds and water. And they obey him. And that's, that's the critical question. Who then is this Jesus? I mean, I don't think it's hard to see, first of all, that he's purposeful. And because he's purposeful, uh, you and I should follow him. Amen? Always best, always best to follow someone who knows where they're going. You can tweet that. Always best to follow someone who knows where they're going. Verse 22, one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Now this is more than just a a mere time and location stamp. It's more than just information to advance the plot. What's going on here? Everything Jesus did was purposeful. Do you believe that? Everything Jesus did 
was purposeful. And so he means to cross the lake and he's going to cross the lake so that he can carry on his mission on the other side. But you have to understand that the journey itself to get to the other side is also very much in the plans and purposes of God. In other words, um, you almost feel the tension as the text is being told that something's going to happen when they're on the lake. That Jesus means to use it to teach his disciples something about their faith. I mean, when you come to a passage like this, you have to ask yourself a few questions. And they're questions that you ask yourself as you live your life and face different difficult circumstances that come your way. But the question really is about your theology or your understanding of who God is. Do you believe that the storm is just a random occurrence that happens? These things happen. Things happen. I'm just going along with my life and good things happen and bad things happen. They're just circumstances. But if you believe that things just happen, then that says something about the kind of God that you have. You see, the other side of this, if you believe something different than that, you believe that These things are ordained by God. God has a purpose. He has a plan for all of this. Do you believe that the difficult life circumstances that you face are situations that God is merely responding to? Maybe, and some people are like this, maybe they even feel like God's kind of taken by surprise. Oh, that happened. I ought to respond. And, And I believe in a God who's a little more powerful than that, don't you? I believe in a God who's sovereign over all of this. I believe in a God who has a perfect plan that's being worked out in this world. I mean, God is not merely responding to what's going on around us. He's in control. He's ordaining everything that happens. And he's bringing everything to a conclusion in this world. One big climactic end to history where eternity will then be ushered in forever and ever. That's what I believe about our God. He's sovereign. He's ruling over creation. God has a purpose. But you see, in the midst of trial and tragedy in our lives, we can often think that God has abandoned us. That God didn't know about it. That God doesn't see our situation. That he's forgotten. It can be devastating in the midst of our pain. If we, if we believe anything other than, it can be devastating. If we believe anything other than, God has a purpose for this. That he intends to use every circumstance of my life, no matter how painful it is, he intends to use it for his glory and to bring us to a better place with himself, to grow our faith, to to develop endurance, to uh, make us stronger in our walk with him, to encourage the lives of others around us. And that's absolutely true in the, if we could talk micro and macro, it's absolutely true in the micro sense of your life, of your life. Of your life. It's, it's, it's macro in, in a very individual personal sense. A micro. But it's also true in the macro sense. In the big picture of all of history. That God is in control. And everything is working together. To bring about his plans and purposes. I was thinking. Just jot down this reference. Revelation 13 verse 8. 
Revelation 13, 8, says that, that names were written in the Lamb's book of life, the book of life of the Lamb. Names are written in that. If You, you don't know what that is, but in, in the book of Revelation, it speaks of this book that's in the throne room of God. And either your name is in it or your name is not in it. I hope your name is in it. You hope your name is in it. The names of the people that are in the Lamb's book of life are all of those who are redeemed who belong to God. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, uh, you will not be spending eternity with the Lord. But uh, That's horrible. Uh, you want to have your name in the book. Revelation 13.8 says that names are written in the book of life of the Lamb. And it also says that the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, a reference to his crucifixion on the cross, that both of these things, this is where Revelation 13.8 is going, the names written in the book, the Lamb slain, both of these happened, listen, mind-blowing, both of these happened before the foundation of the world. Before the creation. Before in the beginning. God. I mean, I mean it, there's nothing that points to the plans and purposes of God. There's nothing that points to his sovereign control over all of creation more than the reality that Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world, before the creation, and that you and I who are his chosen sons and daughters were chosen names written in the book before in the beginning. He's purposeful. Follow him. Why wouldn't we follow such a savior? These history altering, life changing, eternity impacting salvation events happened before anything was. God is purposeful. God is intentional. God is deliberate about everything. And it should not be hard for us to follow him. Amen. I want to follow somebody who's that purposeful. And then notice, secondly, that he is at peace. Jesus is at peace, and you can rest in him. Notice in verse 23, they're sailing. Some of them were sailors. They didn't just pick it up that morning. They were sailors. They sailed. And as they sailed, verse 23, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now a little word about uh, the lake here. The lake is the Sea of, sea of Galilee. That's the region they're in. And uh, you may not have. Uh, how many people here have ever uh, been to Israel? Just raise your hand if you've been to Israel and seen the Sea of Galilee. Just a small handful of people. It's an amazing experience. Um, but the Sea of Galilee, I think we have this notion, it's called a lake because it is self-contained, but it's a sea in the sense that it kind of behaves a little bit more like a sea. And, and to make it a little more understandable for us, if you spend any time at all uh, on or around Lake Simcoe, you need to understand that the Sea of Galilee is considerably smaller than Lake Simcoe. Considerably smaller. Shaped 
approximately the same, but probably as much as 10 or 15 kilometers um, smaller top to bottom and uh, probably about 8 kilometers smaller uh, side to side. So considerably smaller, the difference is I've been on Lake Simcoe during a storm. I wasn't really aware of how much peril I was actually in at the time, but uh, nothing compared to what happens on the Sea of Galilee. And largely this is due to elevations and what happens with winds coming off the Mediterranean Sea and quickly skipping across the land land, and then causing these downdrafts that come uh, down upon the Sea of Galilee, creating what amounts to an instant squall, an instant storm that you can't even forecast. You think our weathermen are bad? Uh, Back then there was no chance or possibility that this storm could have been predicted. And um, notice in the text uh, what it actually says here, that a windstorm, look at the words, uh, came down, came down on the lake. And this is the downdraft that caused the squall, this calm sea becoming a tempest of winds and waves within minutes. So this was not an unusual thing that would happen on the lake. So these uh, men set out under clear skies, all's well. And so Jesus um, goes down for a nap. I mean, he's tired and uh, he's been uh, working and teaching and healing. And, and so he takes a nap and then, and then, can I say it this way? Um, I'm going to say it anyway without you knowing. Um, all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. And uh, this downdraft comes and a storm and wind and waves and the boat uh, filling with water. Uh, this is not good. Boats, water outside, boats dry inside, water in the boat. You don't, need, you don't need to be a boater to understand bad, bad situation that they're in here. Uh, filling with water, uh, they, the text says they were in danger. What were they in danger of? Uh, dying. They're, go- they're going to drown. But notice Jesus sleeping. How many people you're married to a sound sleeper and it bothers you? Okay. You're not going to admit it. Your spouse is like sleeps hard. And, and, and this Jesus is sleeping. He's, he's sleeping like a baby. Or maybe we should just say, some moms are going, my baby does not sleep. Very bad analogy. Um, sleeping like the God he is. How's that? Because he's so confident and so in power and so in control. Wind and waves don't bother him. He made the wind and waves. They don't bother him. So he's trying to get some sleep. uh, But his friends are experiencing some anxiety. Let's put it that way. Jesus is at peace. They're not at rest. Much of our own inability to cope with Life circumstances is really just an inability to rest in God. We don't rest in him very well. We're, we're anxious people. We're worried. We're fearful about so many things. And the challenge with all of that, I, I like just very simply what John Locke said. What worries you masters you. I don't want to be mastered by anything but the Lord. The reality is you're not going to rest in God if you're stressing over all of these different circumstances that come up in our lives. And the reality is there's a lot, a lot going on in our lives that can cause stress. I looked at a top 10 uh, list. I, 
I probably have six or seven of them for sure. Um, But among the top ten, stressing over personal relationships. Some marriages in this room are not great. Some dating relationships are not great. Some parent-child relationships in this room are not great. Some of you have uh, sibling rivalry going. Some of you are estranged from adult members of your, your adult children and you're not talking to your brothers and sisters. Some of you have friend issues. Some of you have small group issues. Some of you don't like the people you work with. Some of you are at war with your neighbors. And, and all of those different relationships that we have are stress-inducing. How many people would just say you have at least one stressful relationship in your life right right now? If you don't have your hand up. (laughs) Personal relationships. How about how about work related stress? You don't need to raise your hands, but (laughs) I appreciate your honesty and you're willing to confess this morning. Work related stress. I didn't see any of my staff raise their hands. That's. Probably good. Some of you feel stressed at school. Uh, Some of you are stressed by health issues, your own or someone you love. Some of you are stressed by money. Stressed, by the way, stressed because you have it and stressed because you don't. Okay. That lack of rest that we have, no matter what the circumstances that are driving it, The thing about that is we were so anxious, so worried, so fearful about these things, so stressing out over them that that then it starts to feed back on itself in the sense that then I don't sleep at night. And when you don't sleep at night, that, that doesn't make anything better. That makes it worse and you get into the next day and the next cycle and the stress is worse and it increases and the restlessness perpetuates itself always each the other thing feeding back making it worse and worse by night and by day and yet we have this account of jesus in the midst of a storm while everyone else is losing their minds because they think they're losing their lives jesus is perfectly perfectly at rest He's at peace. Don't miss this. He's at peace in the midst of the storm. We think we're only going to find peace if the storm ends. And Jesus is at peace in the midst of the storm. We stress before the storm. I think there's going to be a storm. Something bad is going to happen. It's going to be awful. All before. The storm hasn't even happened. And it might not happen. But all stressed out. Stressed in the middle of the storm. And then when the storm passes. We're we're all worried about what happened. And how we reacted. and, and, And it doesn't matter for us. We're consumed with it. Before, during, and after. We stress. 
We really need to get to a place where we don't have to figure everything out and we don't have to bear all the weight and burden ourselves and we don't need to control every situation and we don't need to spend every minute of our time and all of the energy that we have thinking about what might be or or what was or what is. We need to rest in Jesus believing one thing alone. He's got this. He's got this. And then go to bed. And have a great night's sleep. He's got this. That's who this Jesus is. He's purposeful. He's at peace. So we can follow him. And I hope you're following him. And we can rest in him. And I hope you're resting in him. And then notice this. He's he's all-powerful. Verse 24, he's, he's all powerful. And because he is, we can call to him. And they, that's the disciples, went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. I wonder what that waking up looked like. You know, how some people you can just, you know, you can just kind of, hello, Blair, wake up. Wake up, Blair. You just do that, right? Or some people, it's more like, Blair, wake up, wake up. You know, because they sleep so soundly. And I wonder that what it took to wake Jesus up here because he's so at peace and so at rest. But they went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. We're dying here. We're going down. And then there's no drama when Jesus wakes up. You expect a little bit of drama, but there's none. He awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. I mean, at the very least, after all that they had seen, we want to give the disciples some credit here. Kudos to the disciples for at least knowing they needed to wake Jesus up. They'd already seen him do some pretty spectacular miracles. And they probably had some kind of an inkling that he could take care of this situation as well. At the very least, we throw a bouquet their way knowing they knew to call on him. And maybe the lesson that someone here needs to take is simply that. The challenge you're having and the reason why you're still bearing all this anxiety, the reason why you're so fearful and worrying in the middle of the storm is you're not even talking to God about it. Maybe the whole lesson for you today is about prayer and just calling out to him as these disciples did. And asking him very practically for help. He doesn't disappoint. He stills the storm. As we work through Luke's gospel, this is just another indication of his divinity. I mean, you just see that he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't inter, he doesn't pray in this moment. It's not like the disciples woke him up. Hey, Jesus, storm, water in the boat, bad situation. It's not like Jesus said, well, give me a moment and then prays to the Father, though he could have. He just stills the storm. The power is resident in him. He is the Son of God. He is God himself. He doesn't pray for God to intervene. He intervenes because he's God. He has power over the creation. He has power over the elements. And it's on display here. He's all powerful in himself. 
Now, when you call on him, here's the thing. You don't know how he's going to answer. I mean, it's obvious from the text here that the way that he answered the prayer was by stilling the storm. He gets called upon. There's an immediate crisis. He stills the actual storm. In other words, he changes the circumstance. Now, there's enough people in this room who have been through difficult days. You've been through the deepest kind of trials, like what we're talking about here. And you already know that sometimes God does not answer the prayer by changing the circumstance. We know that. Sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. And we've already talked about his purposes. And the thing we can't know is all of the precise details of all the purposes of God as things play out. And so when we pray, we pray in confidence to him. We ask him for the thing that's on our heart. We call out to him with the immediate need. And then we wait for him to answer in the way that he's going to answer. Because we don't know. He might still the storm. You might pray to him and he might change the circumstance. Or he may still your heart in the midst of the storm. And give you everything you need to make it through the storm. Either way, his power is available. Either way, his ear is inclined toward you so that you will hear. He will hear your prayer and answer you. Both are answers. Both accomplish his purposes. Both can help us to rest completely in him and be free of all the anxiety. I mean, I, I love Philippians 4, 6. You'll know this verse well. Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. No anxiety, no worry, no fears. I'm taking this thing, whatever it is, and I'm setting it before the Lord, and I'm leaving it there, and however he wants to answer that, I'm great with it. I'm just going to let my request be made known to him. So call out to him. He's all-powerful. Your prayers say everything about how powerful you really think he is. How confident you are in what he's able to accomplish. How much you believe in his plans and purposes. Your prayers say everything about that. He's all powerful. Call to him. And then check this out. He's, he's able to save And so trust him. An important question is asked then in verse 25. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Two questions really being asked there, one by Jesus, one by uh, the disciples. Their response to Jesus' power over creation is one that's actually getting fairly common for us as we work through the Gospels here. Notice it says that they were afraid and they marveled both of those things. A one part terror, one part fear, and one part awe and reverence, 
and, and with both of those things, when both of those things are happening in our lives, then we have genuine worship happening. It's not all just awe and reverence. It's, it's not just fear, but it's the two of those things coming together to create this heart of genuine worship before the Lord. And so he, he asks them here, where is your faith? And it's a great question because... These disciples had already seen some great miracles, not the least of which we've already studied, not the least of which is the fact that he raised someone from the dead. Now, could I ask you a question? Which do you think would be more awesome to observe? That Jesus would come and in your presence while you're there, raise someone from the dead Or show his power over creation in stilling a storm. Which, which do you think is more awesome? Because I'm getting a sense here from the text of where the disciples were on this. They had already seen him raise someone from the dead. And yet they're completely shocked by the fact that he has power over creation. This is when they ask the question, who is this? And we're just seeing miracle and powerful display stacked one on top of another. And they're afraid and they're marveling. They're in awe of who he is. They're working out their faith. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out who this exactly is that they're following, that they've pledged their life to. I hope you feel a sense of that actually every week here, that you're still figuring out more about Jesus and growing more deeply into your understanding of who he is. That there shouldn't be a Sunday goes by that you're not walking away going. I love my Lord more. I know more about him. I, I feel closer to my God. That should be happening. Not just as we gather here, but day by day as you're in the word of God. Where's your faith growing? Faith here can refer to two different things. That initial belief that you have in Jesus Christ, the body of doctrine that we believe about him, that he is the son of God, that he came to this earth. He took on human form. He gave his life on the cross. He was dead and buried, that he was resurrected on the third day to new life, that he was ascended to the right hand of the father and and that he's coming again. That's the faith. I, I believe that. I believe that I'm a sinner and that I need to believe that message. And accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. Receive the salvation that he offers to me. I, that's, the, that's the faith in the sense of believing the teaching. Believing what we know about Christ. But then there's faith in the sense of trust. And I think that's more to the point here. A trust in him. I have confidence in him. I'm going to let him lead me. I'm, I'm going to let him work in me. I like this. I'm going to let him choose for me. You see, when you trust him, you're okay with letting him choose for you. Whatever it is. You see, Jesus had said to them, we're going to the other side. Now, if Jesus says you're going somewhere, you're going somewhere. I mean, you can take that to the bank, whatever you face along the way, honestly. 
It's more about the destination, but whatever you face along the way is a bit inconsequential. Doesn't matter as much as we think it does. When I just think about this whole uh, Christian life and the promises that I have from him and the confidence that I have in Jesus Christ, and, and I think about my Christian life a little bit like a movie I've already seen before. You know, I have probably three or four, maybe half a dozen movies that I like so much, I I don't mind watching them over and over again. I know exactly how they're going to turn out. And very often, is this not true for you too? I know some of the dialogue and say it before the actors, or I start laughing before the funny part happens. I know the movie. I know exactly how it's going to turn out. And so when the hero is facing some kind of like daunting situation... When he's staring down the battle barrel of the gun, when he's hanging off the cliff, I don't have all the anxiety I would normally. There's no tension in it for me. Because I know he's going to win. I know he's going to survive the intense situation. I know he's going to make it. I already know the end. And when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, we're going to the other side. You're going to make it there. And whatever you're facing right now, whatever the storm is for you, your destination is still heaven. And in the midst of the storm, your God still loves you and wants only good for your life. He says so. It's a promise. So take Jesus along for the ride. Because when he is, you know you're going to make it. Trust him. Trust him with your very life. Anna Spafford's words in the telegram ask the question that we all ask in the midst of trials. What then shall I do? And her husband answered that question with a broken heart. But also with unwavering confidence in the lyrics of that song. What then shall I do? Whatever I do, it is well. It is well with my soul. You can trust Jesus Christ. You can follow Him. You can rest in Him. You can call to Him. And you can trust Him. And I'm going to invite you right now to respond in a very specific way. Because I think we ought to care for one another right here. And the reality is that There are some people in our body right now who are in the midst of the storm. The boat is taking on water. The waves and the wind are raging. Not everybody, but some. And so here's here's how we're going to do it. We're going to sing this song in a moment. Same song we started with. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say it, but I want to give you first this opportunity. If you're in the midst of the storm, if if your trial is very real right now, and it could be a temporary thing, it it might be only short term, or it could be something that for you is like a lifetime, something that God has just allowed in your life that, that isn't going away. But whatever that is, I want you to stand with confidence right now, and your declaration in standing is this. It is well with my soul. If you're in the midst of a trial and you want to tell everyone in this church it is well with your soul, just stand up right now where you are.
You just stand. Okay, let me pray. You pray with me for these who have stood. Thank you for making that declaration and standing so that we could pray together. Father, hear the cry for help. Father, look at these loved ones. And God, still the storm. Still the circumstances of their life and and change it, God, for their benefit. But God, if that's not your purpose, then I pray that you would still the storm in their hearts. God, that you would ease the anxiety, the worry, and the fear, and they would trust in Jesus. God, there are some here who the, the need is for them to start following you because they haven't yet done that. They haven't made that declaration. So the storm that's happening in their life, God, is really driving them to faith in Christ. And some in this room, God, it's for rest. There is for them so much anxiety so much fear, so much dwelling on past and future and so much fretting over the moment that they're in right now. And God, I pray that they would rest in you and trust in you more fully, knowing that what you desire for them is good things. And so God, hear this prayer, answer the cry of every heart in this moment and hear us now as we declare to you our confidence in Jesus Christ, our confidence that it is well with our soul. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.